Hi, this is Natalie Hoffman of FlyingFreeNow.com, and you're listening to the Flying Free Podcast, a support resource for women of faith looking for hope and healing from hidden emotional and spiritual abuse. Welcome to episode 67 of the Flying Free Podcast. Today we're going to be talking with Dave Orison. He has—he is a pastor. He's been a pastor for 42 years. He's currently serving a congregation in Drake, Colorado. Happily married man with eight sons. I want to ask you a little <laughs> bit about that in a minute because that's pretty <laughs> fascinating. Um, he has a website called graceforthehearts.org. So when we're when we're done with this interview, if you want to go and see some of the things that he's written and subscribe to his articles, you can do that. graceforthehearts.org. Today we're going to be talking about the link between legalism and narcissism. And so Dave, first of all, um, let's go back to that eight boys thing and then <laughs> I want to and then I want you to tell us why why you got into you know, researching and studying and experience diving into this world of legalism and narcissism. And I'm fascinated to know how, how you link the two of them. I mean, I've seen that as well in my own experience, Mm -hmm. but, um, just, um, finding out how you are making those connections is going to be really interesting. So first of all, the eight boys, tell us about that. We have eight sons. We have, I think what's the oldest is uh, 42 and the youngest is 23. And uh, we used to tell people and and anybody with a big family probably understands this. They'd say, well, how old are your kids? And we'd say, well, pick an age, you know. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) And all their names start with J, which just drove people nuts. Oh, wow. Um, How could you even remember all of that? Yeah, we just go by numbers, you know. (laughs) (laughs) That's hilarious. So how many grandkids do you have? Just two. Yep. I got another one on the way. So, yep. Yep. And guess what? A girl is on the way. An actual Orison girl. We're pretty excited. So your first two grandkids were boys. Also. Well, we have, we have a little adopted girl, uh, a little uh, basically stepdaughter. Okay. And, uh, and so she's, she's there, but, you know, wasn't born into the family. Um, I, I did say, I told my son, I'm really glad that he connected with her so we could learn to love her. Cause I said, you know, I, I was always afraid that I was too big to be wrapped around a little finger. Oh, that is hilarious. Now, now she's, now she's you know. taught me how to wrap around a little finger and I'm now, good. you know, that's, that's awesome. <laughs> well, and I, I bet your wife is really grateful too, to have. A oh yeah. You know, she's always really enjoyed the boys and she's kind of a tomboyish person herself. She loves outdoors and she loves, you know, boy things. And so it's been a really good. She's really enjoyed the guys. And uh, we, we've even gotten a comment, which again, if you walked in our circles, you, you would understand a little bit better. But um, somebody said, you know, Mrs. Orson talks with her boys. That was like, <laughs> like a, a revelation, you know? It was like, well, what? yes, as a matter of fact. <laughs> That's bizarre. Like, you, was, why why wouldn't you talk with your boys? Why? Well, we had families that that just you know, if mom didn't connect with the boys, then the boys were pretty much on their own, and uh, and that's what we saw, and that's a little bit of the um, of the patriarchal part of the legalists and you know the Bill Gothard stuff that we were in. There's a little bit of well, boys will be okay because you know 
they're boys. And so mom's focused on girls. And uh, oh, it, so it was sad. it was very under, you know, it wasn't ever spoken. It was it was never something that was taught. Right. Uh, but it was an undercurrent. And those undercurrents right. are, you know, they're powerful. Yep. They have a lot to do with expectations and comparisons. And so, yeah, we actually got a, she got a comment one time. Oh, Mrs. Orson actually talks with her boys. That's like, very wow. That was my mom. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, and so it's we've so, had we've quite a tragic though, because when you think about all of the richness of relationships that get lost because of our preconceived ideas of how how oh. the, of the relationships between men and women and boys and girls and our view of each other is so twisted and warped, it's really sad. It really is. It really is. And I think how do I say this? We we have the desire to go with the easiest path, even though it's hard. And so looking for a system to do our work for us is pretty natural, right? Yeah. Um, you know, if if somebody says, okay, here's how to raise kids. I mean, you you look back, just take the last 30 years, how many uh, different systems have come up on how to raise kids? Yep. Yeah. Um, and, and why, you know, well, partly because people are afraid and partly because people are just plain lazy that the relationships are work. They're hard sometimes. And, and sometimes, you know, and we've homeschooled all these years and sometimes you feel like you'd, you'd just rather go bang your head against the wall than take another minute of homeschooling. Mm-hmm. I, I suspect there's a lot of people feeling that right now. Yes. <laughs> yes. I, I homeschooled for 20 years and I, I haven't now for the last probably five. Mm-hmm. And we're obviously we're back at it again. And yeah, I, <laughs> well, I don't really miss it. I have to say. Yeah. And that doesn't, that doesn't downplay the good times. I mean, there, there certainly were some benefits and some good times in all of it, yeah. but relationships are work and the closer they are, the more work they are. And so it's, you know, and, and I'm, I'm not downgrading anybody when I say it's easier in, in some aspects to send your kids off to school and have a free day mm-hmm. because homeschooling moms never get a free day, right? right. Uh, there's, there's never a break and, and those are hard things. And I think if we could find something that would be easier, ship our kids off to some camp or, sh- you know, do something or have a system. And then, uh, then we know, you know, where we failed or what's, you know, what's happening or what we ought to do. Seems easier anyway. It doesn't, the problem, of course, is that it doesn't work. You just keep needing new systems. Right. Uh, but, you know. Well, and I think that's because people, human beings, whether they're, you know, 80, 40, or four are individuals and they mm-hmm. are, they need, it, it need, they require wisdom in, in interacting with them. And when you have everybody in the same box, whichever, you know, pick a box, when you put everyone in the same box and run them through the same grid, there, some of them are going to be fine and right. some of them are not. Some of them aren't going to be fine. They're not going to fit in that box. They're not going to fit in that grid. And if we as Christians aren't willing to go and look to God for our, for wisdom and look at at ourselves and the ways we're reacting to our children, that specific child who's, who's um, extra challenging or whatever, and, um, and look for answers, then we're not, we're going to run into more problems and we're just going to, we are going to beat our heads against the wall. Yeah, that's right. 
That's right. Or or bang the kid's head against the wall. Exactly. You know? yeah. I mean, and, and that's the frustrating part is you get angry when you get, you know, frustrated and you're, you're not able to make that communication happen. Then that turns into anger. And that has, a, that has another whole cost to yeah. it. Um, but I think, you know, when you've, and my wife went through this, you know, she um, homeschooled, let's see, one, two, I'm, I'm counting down here, five kids in a row. And then hit one that's whose learning style was very different. Mm-hmm. Well, you've got five that are still in process of learning their way, right? I mean, mm-hmm. learning, they're all doing about the same thing. And all of a sudden there's this one who has to have some special attention and has to be off, you know, doing something else. That's challenging. Yep. That's hard. And especially, as you know, if you've got little ones coming up besides, um, that's, that's a, it's a dynamic that's difficult. So, you know, it goes back to whenever we have something that's difficult, the desire to have a system or a formula to make it easy uh, is pretty strong. Yep. Well, and when people make that promise and say, here, if you do this, this, and this, you mm. will be growing your kids God's way. Right. Like, oh, well, I better, I want to grow my kids God's way, not exactly. Way, so I better do those things. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Uh, as opposed to whose way, I mean, who, is, who else's way are we going to choose? Right? Exactly. Exactly. Uh, that was a genius marketing. Oh, tool, by the absolutely. Way. And, a, and a classic legalist move, right? Yes, exactly. I mean, a classic exactly. legalist God move. says so. God says this. Well, I, and I think that's right because. With with that comes the guarantee, right? Right. And the trap. Because the guarantee is such that if you do this, 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 God will give you this, this, this. Yep. Now, if God's not giving you this, then we have to look at why. And the why will always be your failure. Yes. You did not do the system the way it's supposed to be done. Because the system is holy. It's God's system. And so around and around it goes, and it's no re- no wonder people come out of there feeling discouraged and defeated, unworthy, shamed, all those words that come along with that. Yeah, it's definitely a flawed system. So what mm-hmm. is the link between all of that? I mean, a lot of people that are listening to this are, um, most of them are women, and most of them are women of faith, mm-hmm. and, and most of them are women of the, of the Christianity version of faith. So, in every, you know, I've seen every denomination in that version sure. across the board. Um, but, and so, and they've come out of that legalistic thinking. So, they're, so they're very familiar with that. And if any of you are, who are listening who are not familiar with that, thank your lucky stars. But most, of them, <laughs> most of them are familiar with that. And they are still trying to deprogram from some of that thinking because it's been ingrained in them that they've got it they've got it intertwined with their idea of who God is. Mm, and so, right. and, and so for them to have faith in God means to have faith in this whole system also. And we have to somehow extricate who God is from the system that they've bought into. And, but I'm fascinated to know what, what the link is between legalism and narcissism which is mm-hmm. some, something that you've done a lot of work with. And I know you have a lot of articles about narcissism in the church. You've written a book mm-hmm. called, I think it's called Narcissism in the Church. Narcissism in the Church, yeah. yeah. And so what is, 
you know, I mean, is that everybody that's legalistic a narcissist? I mean, how do you, how do you well, tell me about that? Right. That's, and let me, let me step back and, and kind of explain the journey that I went through to get into this. And hopefully okay. I can do that just, you know, fairly short. Um, I was uh, a pastor in the Presbyterian church uh, for several years and a conservative in a liberal group felt very uncomfortable, came into the evangelical church thinking, oh boy, this is going to be, this is going to be great, you know, and, and bottom line found the same politics, the same compromises, the same frustrations, but just a little bit better defined system of faith, right? So uh, at least evangelicals said they knew what they believed. Um, then a few years later, we were introduced to Gothard stuff. And, and in Gothard stuff, I found people who were very serious about their faith. Um, they, they knew what they believed. They dedicated themselves to what they believed. Uh, it was very attractive for somebody like me coming, like I say, coming out of the liberal church with a conservative, what shall I say, background or belief system. Mm-hmm. And and so the Gothard thing looked like it was just, you know, serious Christians, serious about their faith. And it had that, that attraction uh, for us and for our family. Now, that's right at the time there were also starting our family. We, we've got some little kids. And so, you know, we're pulling them in, trying to figure out how in the world do we protect them in this crazy world? And there, you know, what do you know? There's a system and it looked good. And even though we sort of went in with our eyes open, um, the system was, had still some pretty hidden parts. You know, that's one of the, one of the tenets of legalism is you never quite find out the whole story, right? You, I always say that, that once you find out what you're doing wrong and then change, you know, so that you're starting to do something right, according to that, uh, then you, they come up with another thing you're doing wrong. Right. So you can never win in that system. It always yeah. continues to change. It's kind of like the secret organization that, de- that demands commitment, serious commitment, before they tell you their secrets. You have to believe their secrets before they'll tell you them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and so Gothardism was that, legalism was that. Now, I don't, I'm not going to equate legalism and Gothardism. Gothardism is, you know, the teachings of Bill Gothard were an example of legalism mm-hmm. at work. Somewhat extreme, I suppose. Um, not as extreme as many of the cult groups, although certainly almost there. Um, I would say cultic, if if you will. Um, so I began to look at what in the world was going on, and and realized that this this whole thing was about performance. So I talk about performance spirituality. It's all based on the quality and quantity of my performance. In other words, if I do well enough, and again, both quantity and quality, then God will notice me and bless me. If I do enough good things and I do them in the right way, God will notice me and bless me. And, you know, I mean, you know as well as I do, if if you read the Bible with that grid in place, you'll find support for that system. You'll find proof texts that um, tell you that same message over and over. It's like, if you do well, you know, you'll be blessed. And so 
legalism gets its has its roots in the Bible, but be, it's because of a certain grid of. Do you understand what I mean by grid? I don't know if everyone will. Um, let's say a, a, a preconceived impression, a um, a prejudice. Um, that's a little that has other taints, but. Well, like like a like a pair of glasses. You're putting yes. on a pair of glasses that have a certain color, and then you look around you, and everything is has that color, that hue of color. Right, and certain colors get washed out because of those same glasses. Right. Yeah. yeah. So you see some things more, and you see other things less, and yeah, that's basically what I'm saying. So so there are scripture passages that support the legalism. And, and that's why a lot of people who leave legalism also leave their faith in the scriptures and, they're, and they don't want to read the Bible anymore. I've had people say, you know, I just can't read the Bible without seeing that stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, my, my standard response to that is, well, then don't. Um, you know, pray. Oh, can I jump in here and say something? <laughs> sure. I, you know what? Bingo. Because that <laughs> I actually, I was an avid Bible reader for, well, my whole entire life. You know, I grew up in that, in that conservative family where you read your Bible through every year, did lots of Bible studies, went to a Bible school, blah, blah, blah. So mm-hmm. I loved the Bible and my journals are full of Bible verses and my, you know, my kind of my skewed thinking about what they were saying. But I literally had to set my Bible aside for probably two or three years. I am just now, and I pick it up once in a while and look at it, but then I put it back down again and go, you know what? I'm still not ready. I just recently have started picking it up again now with a a different pair of glasses on my, on my face. And I am reading it through a different grid and it is incredibly (laughs) different. It's like, I'm reading a completely different book. It's so bizarre. Yes. Amen. I, and, and I believe God will lead you back to the Bible because I, I, you know, my personal belief is that that's his given word. He, yeah. he has desired for us to read the Bible, but I don't think he ever wanted us to read the Bible for the Bible. He didn't yeah. want us to look for the Bible in the Bible. And that's what we were taught. That's what evangelicals have been taught. And that's clearly what the legalist is taught. You know, we're supposed to go from one proof text to another, find deeper and deeper support in the scriptures for the, you know, the, the ideas that we have. And so we look to the Bible for the Bible. But when you look to the Bible for Jesus, I get on my soapbox, my, my preaching, you know, uh, Love this. thing here. But when you, when you look for, in the Bible for Jesus, You'll find him also. It's just that you're looking for a different thing. I always tell people, you know, when you when you do get called back to the Bible, go to the book of John yes. and look at how Jesus loved people. Just look for just that. Don't look at anything else. Yes. Look at how Jesus loved people because it's all through there. And all of a sudden, it starts to open up this idea of who Jesus is and who God is, and you get a different perspective, Amen. a different grid. I, now I look back in the Bible and I look back in the Old Testament and some of the stuff that's, you know, that's so, it seems so restrictive, so law-based, you know, and I think, why did God give us the law? He gave us the law because he loves us. So let's look at even the law from that perspective of him loving us, not as a book of rules, but as the same kind of love that we would say, if you, you know, your kids are off in college and you, you write something that, that just is on your heart for them, um, it would be the same type of communication, right? You don't, they don't, you don't want them to look and say, okay, what does mom want us to do now? 
you want them to hear the love in your heart as you write to them. Right. And, and yes, that might have some specifics. Um, but the point of those specifics is the love from your heart. So if we could look back, even in the Old Testament, and start seeing how God loved his people, how he loved them from the beginning, and how he took care of them. And boy, I tell you what, it opens the scripture in ways the legalists never heard of, sadly. Yeah. Sad. It's very sad. And I think I think that's kind of the point. Legalism makes the Bible a book of rules, a... Um, almost a math book in in the way that they do cause and effect and a certainly a book full of you know of the if you do this then you're going to get this and and then they look for the proof text so it becomes this whole book of rules and that kind of focus god of course is the judge the policeman the the great critic you know who knows every detail of our lives and and uh, and judges us um jesus at the very best is some kind of mediator who holds God off, right? <laughs> so so yeah. the message the message is that, you know, God wants to zap you and send you to hell forever, but Jesus holds him back. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and, and that makes, I call that, I've written an article and I call that, the that's the abuser God that we Yes, have. yeah. It's not the true God. It's, it's an not the God. true God. And when and, we worship an abuser God and we think that that's the way God is, we actually find ourselves behaving in similar ways towards other people then instead of well, exactly. like Christ. Yep. Because authority does filter down, whether we like it or not. The one that, that, that we lift up and look toward, even if we even if in our heart we hate them and are afraid of them and would like to push them away, the one we put up in authority is still the model. Yep. Still the one that we pattern our lives off of. And and you know, I've told this to people over the years that that we will, you know, as parents, we will either consciously do differently than our parents, or we will unconsciously do the same thing. So we have the same types of uh, of anger expressions often that our parents do. We have the same type of marriage relationships often that our parents do, unless we purposely and consciously do different, which we can. But in times of stress, we often don't stop and think that one through. Same thing in our relationship with God. If you think God is an abuser, if, if God is violent and angry, then you can justify your own anger and your own violence by appealing to God. Um, And people do. And people do. And I think legalism is all that in a package. Um, And, and from that legalism, from that idea of God being this performance oriented being who, who looks down on us and wants to see how well we're behaving so that he can reward us or punish us on the basis of our performance. Um, he's the foreman, you know, in the sky, or like I say, the policeman. Um, as, as long as we do that, we create a system. And that, to me, that's the legalist system. That's the system under the law, which is performance-based. Out of that comes guilt and shame, fear and failure, judgment. I mean, all these things come out of that. Comparisons. Um, 
you know, and I, I think we talked about this a little bit last time, but uh, the comparisons within the legalist system that, you know, I, I've, I've said it this way, I may, not, I may not be as good as Jesus, but I can be better than you, right? I can yeah. be better than you on, in some areas. And so <laughs> I, did we maybe talked about this before, but the, um, the homeschool marketing system, which I tried to explain to people is a true marketing system. Uh, I never forget the magazines uh, from, oh, this would be now from quite a few years ago, but I think it was Teaching Home Magazine had always a family on the cover, right? And, you know, it's, it's like these, you know, these parents with 12 kids, all the, all the kids are dressed alike. They're all smiling. They're holding their violins uh, because they all play violin, you know, and, uh, and everybody is so happy. <laughs> I got in front of a homeschool group, oh my, 20 years ago, probably. And, uh, and I said, you know what? I've known a lot of those families and I know how incredibly miraculous it was to get that single picture. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Uh, but you know they always that was the that was the thing and and right there on the cover of the magazine was if you get our magazine and you read our articles and you buy our products you can have a family like this look at the control yeah you know look well, at the the joy right? that's what i was just thinking just now I, I believe me i remember those magazines i remember one <laughs> family i found out later the dad had actually gone off and had an affair with his secretary and got yes. her pregnant and ended up marrying her. So the, here's the thing I never realized back then is that to get all of those kids to be <laughs> interested in, like what are the odds that everyone in a family has this passion for violin, for example? Right. Not exactly. good. That Not good. No. There is coercion. There's power and control over the lives of children that are, they have to do one thing based on what the patriarch and the family is telling them to do. And they're actually not able to exercise their own God-given bent, their own God-given gifts and, right. and um, trajectory in life because they're being dictated by the patriarch who is basically standing in the place of God and saying, no, I don't care how God created you. This is what you're going to do. You're going to do what I want you to do. And we're going to look amazeballs and we're going to be on the cover of a magazine and everyone's going to want to be like us. But behind the scenes, I, I can almost guarantee that those families were not peace filled you know, and, and those kids right, right. pretty sure that all of those kids were, did not grow up to be, play the violin and, you know, be violin virtuosos. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I've known many of those families and and that it, that same scenario repeats that you know they've got they've got two or three kids perhaps that have just wandered, you know, because how could and and if you don't mind me picking on one thing, it wasn't always patriarch, right? Sometimes mom was the driving yes, force. Yes, you're absolutely <laughs> you're absolutely right. I, I know dads who would not ever have gotten into homeschooling simply because they didn't want to 
they didn't want to deal with it, but mom yep. was the one who wanted to look good. So, so they had to perform well in order to look good because performance is all about how you look, right? We want, you know, it's like when the narcissistic boss comes in, all the employees work hard at looking like they're working hard. The appearance is everything. And that's, that's true in legalism. That's true in narcissism. So what you described just now, the, the patriarch who says, okay, everybody's going to play the violin, is a, is a system where individualism is discounted. People are depersonalized, right? We don't, we don't care who you are as a person. All we care about is how you represent the family, particularly the dad or the mom, but how you represent us. That's all we care about. Now, that is narcissistic abuse. You're right. It is. See? I get it now. It's, I get the link. It's an easy step from one to the other yes. at that point. <laughs> And that's why it probably truly really attracts people who yes. have narcissistic tendencies. Exactly. Exactly. So now they you, have the approval of God for oh, their yeah. narcissistic worldview. Right. I mean, what's better than holy narcissism? Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, what a perfect storm. Oh. So, so if you look at an, a legalistic church, take your, you know, your standard legalistic church. And, and by the way, that's also on a, on a sliding scale, right? Um, so there, there are churches that are very friendly and very gracious and only narcissistic or legalistic under the surface. You, you, often people don't find this out until later. Um, but you have what I guess I would lump three, you know, three groups of people in the legalistic church. One, the first group that I would address would be the, the abusers, right? The users, the, one who the ones who come in to lead all these sheep. Uh, the second group, of course, are the sheep. They want to be led. They, they want to give their responsibilities and as much of their work in life as possible over to the ones who lead them. Uh, don't, don't tell me that I have to, you know, go to the Lord and try to figure out what he wants me to do next. Just tell me what to do next. And then I'll do that, you know, then, and so the legalistic system offers that and people like that. They're, already filled with fear. They're already filled with the idea that they'll never measure up. Um, they expect to fail. They almost expect rejection and abuse. Um, uh, something that you said earlier, I'm trying to think how, what it was, but basically that, that we all, oh, I know you were saying that we, that we, um, need a different view of God and that it's hard to come out of legalism because our, our view of God is so damaged, mm -hmm. right? By, by that, but also our view of ourselves yes. and, and chances are that people in, in legalistic churches grew up in legalistic churches. Now that's not always the case, of course, but chances are that they grew up in legalistic churches or at least grew up in a performance system where you were valued if you did what mom and dad said. If, if you didn't do what mom and dad said, then you were rejected. That's something that, that every parent has to deal with, I think, in a conscious way. How do you discipline your kids without making them feel rejected? Because I think it's the natural process to think that discipline means rejection. Right. Right. 
So how do we do that? And, and frankly, most of our parents never even asked the question. Right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they just did it. And, and, you know, go to your room and be alone. Mm-hmm. You know, um, get a spanking, get, you know, get physical pain uh, from the one who says they love you. Uh, you know, those things are very difficult for children to understand. And, and parents need to go the extra, you know, the extra hundred miles, really, to, to make sure that somehow discipline and um, welcome or acceptance uh, don't negate each other. You have to love your kids and you have to discipline them. Both are, both are the case. Yeah. And can I just yeah. jump in and share one mm-hmm. little thing here, just in case there's any women, because I can, I can hear women. I can hear what they're mm-hmm. thinking. <laughs> Sure. So, yeah. Some of them are thinking, how do you do that? And, oh. <laughs> and so, I mean, I have my own ideas of how I've done that, um, that I'm going to, I'll just quick share, but, and then I'm interested to know how you, how you would also do that. But yeah, the thing that I've learned about kids is that they, you can actually, if you look at all of the things that they love and that they, um, you know, the privileges that you give to them and the things that make their life happy, you, you can actually take away those things without taking away your love. So you can say, and then you can give your kids the choice. Like you get to make, because we, our kids are going to grow up as adults and be able to make choices about what, how they want to live their lives. So right. you want, they need to understand that while they may make a wrong choice, they will lose something wonderful if they make a wrong choice. Like they might lose their ice cream for the night if they mm-hmm. choose not to eat their dinner, but you still love them. You're able to take away their ice cream without, you know, without yelling at them or make you, if you're okay with your own feelings of, Oh shoot, I wanted to control this kid. I wanted him to eat. His right. dinner. If you're okay with, no, he gets to choose. If he doesn't want to eat his dinner, that's totally fine. He doesn't get his ice cream then, but that's totally fine. I still lo- I'm still able to come at, at my child from a place of love and acceptance and warmth and no guilt feelings on my part for not letting him have, have his ice cream. I just wanted to give that little um, like example of how you can actually, you know, quote, discipline your kids, but you don't have to sure. have any of your love or affection for them. That's that's exactly right, and I think it's a it's a contractual cause and effect, right? It's it's an understanding from the beginning, and and actually, if you if you do that well with your kids, they will agree ahead of time to that type of punishment, right? Yes, they, they <laughs> will. Say, yeah, they say, you know, if you say, okay, I don't want you to use your cell phone at the table. If you use your cell phone at the table, I'm taking it away for a day. Is that you know you understand that? Oh yeah, that's fine. Okay, well. There it is. It's already built in. Both exactly. sides have accepted it. It it shows respect for the for the child. Um, it takes the burden off the parent. You don't have to become angry to accomplish it. <laughs> I mean, it's it's all right there. Now, but I would say, and and I really everybody needs to hear this one. You will do this poorly. Okay, this is hard work. Yeah. This is not easy, and and very very few of us grew up with models that worked that way. Yep. Um, so you know, don't don't beat yourself up. Um, you know, if you fail, it, it's it's really part of the deal. I think. Um, you know, we grow as as we parent. You wish you could be a complete person with everything good in life before you get a kid, but God says, you know, I'm going to use these kids to help you grow up. 
exactly. and have you learned some things. This is your huge, amazing, incredible opportunity and training ground for your to figure out your own emotional, you know, the, yes. the areas where you are emotionally deficient or where you where you need I shouldn't say deficient, I should say it's an opportunity it's where you have those opportunities to grow. Yeah. And um and your kids will be the ones that and your marriage will be those will be the things that help you to see where those are. And then you can do that personal work. But I really do believe that I know it's really sad that the church kind of says, Oh, you shouldn't, you know, it's so selfish to focus on yourself. Well, if you don't focus on your own work, your own personal inner work, if you don't do that, you're not going to be able to have, if you don't have a safe welcoming place for yourself, you're not going to be able to create safe welcoming places for anybody. else. Absolutely. It's, it's the same thing as they tell you on the airplane, put your oxygen mask on first, you know, and, and I tell that to people all the time as I constantly say, Oh, we've got kids. And I say, well, get yourself healthy first. You've got to focus there first. How are you liking this episode so far? Dave and I ended up talking longer than we usually do for a single episode, so I decided to break this particular episode up into two. And this part one, we focused a little bit more on parenting. And part two, we do get into more of the conversation about the link between narcissism and legalism. So I hope that you'll come back for episode 68 next week and hear that part two. If you benefit from this podcast, would you do me a huge favor and go over to Apple iTunes and leave a rating and review? You can do it totally anonymously. You can just, um, you don't have to put your name on there. But here's the thing, when you leave a rating and review on iTunes, they show it to more people then. And that means that more people will get their eyeballs on this opportunity to learn and benefit from this podcast as well. So it's kind of in your, it's kind of, uh, I'm putting this back into your court and saying, hey, help me out here so that we can get this in front of more people, more women of faith who need to hear these messages. Also, I want you to know that this episode of the Flying Free Podcast and most of the episodes are sponsored financially by the Private Flying Free Sisterhood Group. And this community offers courses, expert workshops, and weekly live coaching for women of faith that are looking for hope and healing from emotionally and spiritually abusive relationships and communities. You can find out more and get on the waiting list at joinflyingfree.com. And I want to thank you so much for listening. Until next time, fly free.